Hi, my name is Blue, and I'm the host of this new podcast, The 21st Century Teacher, with Livid Earth. And my job is to ensure that our teachers and students get the most out of our programs. This new podcast series is just one of the ways I'm going to be supporting our community of educators with a monthly conversation with a special guest educator discussing a different aspect of 21st century teaching and learning. Today I'm talking with Claire Guy, an experienced education consultant with a profound passion for fostering equity and inclusivity in our schools. Her dedication to creating an environment where every student, regardless of their background or identity, can flourish is truly inspiring. In this episode, she brings her wealth of knowledge and experience to the forefront to help educators like us navigate the crucial path toward more inclusive and equitable education. This is an episode that will empower you to champion equity in your classrooms and schools. Claire delves into the critical consideration of SOGI, sexual orientation and gender identity, in education and offers practical strategies that you can implement right away. Claire addresses some of the challenges teachers face as educators in the 21st century that require them to be adaptable, empathetic, and fully committed to the success of every student. Claire Guy's expertise offers a guiding light for this journey. So I would like to start today by just acknowledging where I am in the world. And I'm here in the Slocan Valley, just north of Nelson, British Columbia. And this is actually the traditional territory of the Thanaik, the Spilk, and the Tanaha, and as well home to around 5,000 for the Métis Nation. I just want to express my gratitude for being able to work, live, and play here and raise my three boys here in a way that they feel a connection to the surroundings and to the nature and also an appreciation for the first peoples that came before us. So today I'm really excited to have Claire on the show. Claire, welcome and thank you for finding time in your busy schedule to join us. My pleasure. Thank you. And uh, I'm a recent import from British Columbia to New Brunswick, and I am very, very fortunate uh, to be a settler guest um, in the beautiful lands of the Wallastaque, Mi'kmaq, and Passamaquoddy First Nations. And um, since I've moved here, I've tried really hard to live the land acknowledgement, not just say it, but to actually live it. And it's been quite a challenge uh, to find information about it. So one of the things that I'm very committed to is doing research and to learning about the Wabanaki Confederacy, which are the um, the nations in this area. But there's not a lot of information in New Brunswick here. So uh, it's been a challenge, but I'm very committed to it. So I just am grateful to be here. And every day is is a new learning. So thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, thanks, Claire. Thanks for sharing. Um, so the focus of our conversations today, what I really wanted to, to talk to you about, and how, the reason I wanted you on the show was we haven't really covered the SOGI community, if I say that in the right way, uh, which is an acronym for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity which is very much in the news now. And I know it's a part of schools and how teachers are having to you know, kind of embrace some of these issues that are coming up. And so I think it's going to be really helpful to hear from you today. And so actually, before we start talking about that, what is the term, maybe you just explain the term SOGI. Um, and I'm curious if that term SOGI, this acronym, 
is this starting to shift to identity to get away from the bad press that Soji itself has? So can I back you up just a little bit, if you don't mind? Because uh, that's a big conversation. And first of all, I, I really want to make sure that the listeners understand that I'm not a member of the 2S LGBTQIA community. I'm an ally uh, and a very passionate ally. Um, and I think whenever we do any of this equity work, it's really important that we have representation from the community as well as allies. And I think that there's a role for both to play and we need both perspectives. So my role in this conversation is to be the best ally I can be. And, um, you know, I think when we originally talked about um, doing this podcast, uh, I went on your your website um, to look at the, the Live at Earth website and I saw a, a tagline that said a story for every kid. And that for me is is very, very impactful. And that's why I I am such a committed ally. And and so if you don't mind, before I talk about the press and around Soji, are you okay if I just explain my why? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, to your to your tagline, a story for every kid, I really believe that everyone has a story. And for me, uh, part of the reason I'm so passionate about this particular topic is I've had many stories and many people that have impacted my life in a very positive way around this particular topic. And and I think that's why I, I'm so passionate about it. And I, if it's okay, I'd like to just share a couple of stories because I think that will help set the tone for what we're going to talk about. So when I was uh, in university, uh, my best friend uh, was a wonderful uh, Chinese man. He was gay, um, but he hadn't come out yet. Um, and he came from a very, very traditional family uh, who I knew well. And he was very uh, concerned about how they would react if he told them. And he struggled for about a year and we talked about it a lot. Um, he wanted to tell them, but his biggest fear was that they would disown him as their son and that they would kick him out of the house. And, you know, I talked to him on a regular basis about it and I said, no, of course they wouldn't, wouldn't do that. They love you. You're their, their child. Um, they'll love you no matter what. And so finally, he got the nerve up after you know many conversations with me to tell his parents. And um, his biggest fears came true uh, when he did tell them. They did kick him out of the house, and they actually said to him, "You are no longer our son." And everything that he feared came true exactly the way he said it would. And in fact, he came to live with my family for, for a short time before he found his own place. And that had an unbelievable impact on me because I couldn't believe that that would have actually happened and that parents would disown their children. Um, and I never forgave myself for that, quite frankly. He's gone in to be very successful since then, but uh, that story um, sort of stuck with me forever and will stick with me forever. And then 
I had another story. Again, I'm going to tell this one if you can indulge me because I think it it will impact what we speak about later on today. Um, uh, many years later, uh, and this is just another example. I had a colleague, um, and this is more of a community story, um, and sort of a a story that ended up in tragedy, and very sadly enough, but it in- inspired some good that that came out of it. So uh, it was a parent that I knew, uh, a father, and he had a teenage son. And I had known the boy since he was a child, and I suspected that he may be gay. And uh, just to, uh, let's call uh, the dad, let's call him John. And John was uh, a very well-known and well-respected member of the community. But he was outwardly very homophobic, and he would make jokes in front of his son, and and I could tell that they were hurtful uh, to him. But at the same time, this was going on. We there was another family in the community that that they all knew each other, and they all all the kids grew up together. And let's call um, uh, that other uh, dad David. And David's son had the same age. As John said, David's son had some serious mental health issues, a lot going on, and very, very sadly, uh, one day committed suicide as a teenager. And he was the same age at the time as John's son, and they knew each other. And John was actually the person who found David's son. It was a horrible story, devastating to the entire community, and particularly impactful for John because John's son was still alive. And David's son, of course, had had died uh, very tragically. And so at that point, um, John had a choice to make, you know, and, and he could choose to appreciate and embrace his son for who he was and the fact that he was still alive and stop with the homophobic slurs and um, because he was driving his son further and further away. And the the good news is that he did, and this was a real turning point for John. And and I think the loss of David's son had such a profound impact on him. He became his son's biggest supporter and fan, very proud of him. Um, and and that story to me also had a huge impact because, you know, it, it wasn't until there was such a loss for people to realize the harm and the damage that can happen um, when we reject people. Um, so it, 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 was a, it was a very, very tragic story, but you know, some good came out of it. And um, now the relationship that John has with his son is, is wonderful, but it took something so tragic to turn that around. So when we talk about, um, the term soji and and you know the bad press that it's had. Um, soji right stands for sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and soji is not a bad acronym or a bad term at all. It the language changes all the time, and you'll hear lots of different versions of um, of those terms. Um, you know, I I right now use to SLGBTQIA+, um, but there's lots of different acronyms, terms, um, and the language change and, and it evolves over time. Um, but the community 
it has existed forever. Um, and, you know, people are people. And, you know, I, I really think that um, the, 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 the identity piece is more important than the term we use to describe it. And so, um, you know, I, I will change my language based on the audience that I'm talking to um, just because I, I want to get away from the labeling. Um, and I've changed it many times over the years because, you know, it, it does evolve and change. Um, but, but the point is, you know, we're talking about identity. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I feel like there's been a lot of bad press with the recent protests in communities, you know, these walks. Um, and we've seen a lot of parents have been coming out in certain areas, in some regions, opposed to the teaching about sexual orientation and gender identity. So what would you tell those protesters? Well, you know, again... I believe, and this this is my personal beliefs here, is I think people fear what they don't understand. And, you know, if something is unfamiliar or if if there's something that challenges your own belief system or cultures or traditions or values, it creates a sense of discomfort. And that's normal um, if, if there's something new or different. How you respond to that is, you know, it can go either way. And, you know, when you hear, I remember being on a playground uh, on supervision one day, and I heard a six-year-old making homophobic slurs. Well, you know, and calling um, other children names. And I'm thinking, you know, where is a six-year-old learning that? You know, what is going on in the home or, you know, or in the community, where are they learning that? And, and we need to ask ourselves that. And, and I really believe that, you know, so much hate and misunderstanding comes from a place of fear. And so if, if we educate and create awareness and teach it, my hope, and I realize that it perhaps is a little optimistic, but my hope is that, um, that we dispel those fears um, because those protesters are, I really believe, are the vocal minority. They are not, um, they are not the majority of people. Unfortunately, sometimes the majority is silent. Um, and that's why I, I believe in the role of allies and that we need, you know, we don't want the vocal minority to be the loudest voice um, because those protests are about hate, they're about extremism, and they perpetuate bias. And, uh, you know, we all have bias it, it within us, con conscious and unconscious. But, um, you know, that, that hate language really inflames people and it, it promotes bias. And, you know, when I'm having conversations with people about this topic, I, I try to take the emotion out of it. And, and I'll use the example of being right-handed or left-handed. And uh, so for example, um, you know, if, if I'm a left-handed person, 
that doesn't make me a bad person. It just means I, it, it's who I am. You know, if I'm a right-handed person, I'm a right-handed person. Um, and, you know, for example, if you look around, the world right now is built for right-handed people. And uh, I'm not a left-handed person. My husband is, and he makes me notice things all the time, things like door handles and, you know, things that we sort of take for granted in the world. Well, if you're even writing, when you're taught to write in school, you know, so you don't, um, teachers want you to write with your right hand very often and books are created that way. And it, the world is just built for right-handed people. And if if you were left-handed and I said, well, I, I need you to be right-handed, you can't be left-handed. Well, that would be ridiculous. And I think most people would think, well, that's silly. That's ridiculous. You know, you're left-handed. It's who you are. It's just, you know, it's just part of your identity. So why should this be any different? And I think when you think about it that way, people kind of go, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I was born right-handed. Somebody else was born left-handed. That's not a, doesn't make them a bad person. It's not a disease I'm going to catch. I'm not going to catch their left-handedness, you know. And, and you know, I see you smiling and, and you think about it's such a ridiculous example, but it makes a point. And I think that's, I, I like to teach it the same way. No, I like it. And I, I'm going to be really honest right now. So I have an 18-month-year-old. I have a four-year-old too. If I see the 18-month-year-old trying to do something with his left hand, I just have this reaction where I want to take the spoon and put it in his right hand and make sure he's doing it with his right hand. If he's left-handed, he's left-handed. But it's just that it's just inbuilt in me. It's like you should be doing things with your right hand without really thinking about it. And I'm just like, yeah. Anyway, I've just found myself noticing these little <laughs> things of young children because I'm become a certain way because left-handed was always, yeah, like you say, it was uh, not the norm necessarily. No. And, um, you know, when when you think about it, does it make sense to be hateful or fear somebody who is left-handed? You know, back to the age of witches and you know, burning at the stake. And I mean, it's so silly. Um, but, but it's, you know, it's who you are. It's, your, it's part of your identity. And, you know, and, and when we ask people to just ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist or to go away, you're asking them to not be true to themselves and to right. not be authentic. So, and that being said, so you know, in your mind and the conversations that you have and what you see going on in you know, school districts, why is this such an important topic? I mean, it's such a simple question, but what, why is this so important? For me, this is about being inclusive and it's about safety. And, and that is, you know, when we have these conversations, I am never going to ask or expect anyone to change their values or their traditions or their cultural beliefs. Uh, that would just be wrong. But I am going to ask that all people expect a, a safe learning environment. And I think, you know, every child deserves that. And I think every parent who says goodbye to their child every morning and says, you know, bye, love, have a good day, needs to feel confident that when they trust their children to the school, that they know they're going to be safe 
and that they're going to have a good experience. They're going to be safe. They're going to be allowed to be who they are. So if I send my left-handed child to school, that that teacher isn't going to force them to write with a right hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know. so what are some of those concerns around in relation to safety with Soji kids? Well, you know, I I think it, it, there's a lot of research around this, but um, you know, and, and you depending on what source you cite, but the latest source that I read, you know, about sixty five percent of two S LGBTQIA plus kids do not feel safe at school. Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, uh, youth who belong to that community um, are sadly at a way higher rate for substance abuse, uh, mental health issues. They have the highest rate of suicide of any group of youth. Um, and you know they're at risk for bullying, intimidation, um, but very sadly, like the two stories that I started with today, sometimes those students don't have the support at home. And so it exacerbates the problem and the safety risks for them. And that's why it's really important that school becomes a safe place because it's not always safe at home for them. That's a really good point. I'm really glad that you that you uh, brought that up, actually, and not something I would necessarily have thought of. So I wonder, in creating safer and more inclusive educational environments, as you mentioned, what are some of those key challenges uh, that schools are commonly facing around that? And how can they overcome those challenges? Because I'm sure through your conversations and the networking that you do and your roles over the years, you've had these conversations. So I'm curious what comes up yeah oh and there's lots and 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 quite frankly to be honest there's some things that you can change and there's some things that you can't um and you know some of the obvious ones are depending on where you are in the country you know and what your schools are like some of the buildings are old some of the structures are old and you know it's easy to say uh, well, we should have you know gender neutral uh, washrooms in all of our schools and gender neutral change rooms and things. And sometimes that's physically uh, and logistically easier to do than in others. Um, you know, I know that in in some of the newer build schools, uh, they are building uh, gender neutral washrooms. Um, but if you've got a very old building uh, and there's not very many washrooms, it, it becomes, physically um, harder to do. It's not impossible by any stretch, but it requires more effort. So, you know, one of the, the challenges that I always ask teachers um, and all educators to think about, principals, vice principals, system leaders, is to say, where are the safe spaces in your school or in your school district? Where is it safe and where is it not safe? And, you know, uh, some of the places that we think are safe aren't for for our two S LGBTQIA plus kids, and so I mean the obvious ones are washrooms, um, but actually sometimes people forget change rooms for PE. PE is a subject that a lot of those students don't want to take because it's uncomfortable and it's a place where there have in the past been you know real issues of bullying. So looking at your buildings and where are your safe spaces, where is it not safe, 
and are are there gender neutral spaces that you can create? So you know the physical environment um, and, and is the playground safe? Stairwells, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of places that maybe th that group of kids don't feel safe in, and what are we doing about it? Um, you know, signage is another thing. You know, um, what you know are we saying boys' washroom, girls' washroom, or is it just a washroom? And you know that may sound really silly, um, but those are a big, big deal. The language we use, the signage we use, um, all of those things in our environment send a message: is are we welcoming? Um, are we being inclusive? And and those norms are changing, and those beliefs are, you know, people are, you know, evolving and changing, and things are becoming more culturally. Um, sort of um, accessible, I guess. Um, but it's taken us a long time to get where we're at and we're not we're certainly not there yet. And one of the examples I, I like to use when we talk about this kind of thing is the challenges when you think about it, and I'm dating myself now, but I'm old enough to remember when you could actually smoke on an airplane and there was a smoking section at the back of the plane. You know, when you think about that now, if you asked anybody, or told people that you were thinking of smoking on a, they would think you're crazy. Like that's just so not even remotely in people's realm of thinking now. But but it wasn't that long ago that you could do that, you know. And so those those cultural norms change. And I mean, you know, I use drinking driving as an example as well for that. I mean, I remember, you know, that times where people would have a lot to drink and they would think nothing of grabbing the car keys and getting in the car and driving. Well, we know it's not okay to do that. And I'm not saying people still don't do it, but I'm saying the cultural norm and expectation around that, it's not okay anymore to do that. Um, doesn't mean that it's not an issue still, but you know, people, norms are changing and that's a good thing. It's just that, you know, here's another area where we need to focus. Yeah. So in terms of in the classroom with the teacher, how can they create an inclusive experience? And not maybe not just even just in the classroom, but in in and out of the classroom. Like, does that fall down? Like, is that down to language? Um, yeah. What are some other ideas around that? Yeah. So yes, um, and it starts. It starts with language. It starts with being inclusive. I mean, on my uh, my well, people can't see my picture now. But I, you know, hi, my name is Claire, and I introduced, you know, I use she, her, l pronouns, and it says that on my little Zoom uh, identity piece. And you know, we names, pronouns, those are important. Those things matter to people because it's part of our identity. It's who we are. Um, and you know, we as as a teacher, we need to ask students, "What's your pronouns? How you know? How do you like?" you know, how how do you like to be referred to? And you can't assume, we have to ask, you know? And so even just how we introduce ourselves, hi, my name is, you know, and I use she, her, L pronouns. Uh, that sends a message very loud and clear that you're gonna be welcome in my, my learning environment and I'm gonna respect who you are and allow you to be your authentic self. Uh, you know, you see it now on people's email signatures. Um, business cards, you know, that that's, again, another example of a cultural norm. Um, 
as far as in the, the learning environment, look at the resources that you're using as, as a teacher. You know, People want to see themselves represented in their resources. Um, so, you know, we want to create awareness of all identities and all intersectionalities. As, and it's not just about sexual orientation and gender identity. It's, you know, it's we want to see people of color. We want to see diverse abilities and disabilities um, represented in our books, in our videos, in our social media. So when you're selecting books, you know, are you selecting a book with mom and dad or are you selecting a book with a mom and a mom or a dad and a dad you know um what's on your walls like you know very often i'll go into a, a a school and and what's on your walls what's in your hallway says a lot about what you value you know so what are you showing to the outside world um what posters do you have in your walls you know uh, do you have a gsa in your school or a a rainbow club. Do you have rainbow stickers? You know, kids know that those symbols. And if you have a rainbow sticker on your door, kids know that they're welcome. This is a class classroom where I'm going to feel welcomed and I'm going to be able to be who I am. And, you know, one of the things I think educators can do that's really powerful is put yourself in the position of that learner. If I was that learner, if I was that transgender child, or if I was that person, how would I feel in this space? And would I see myself reflected in the learning resources, on the walls, in the posters, in the language that people are using? It's very basic, but it, it takes some time if, if it's a new thing for you. It's, you know, it's a journey and it's, it's, everybody's in a different place and it's okay to be in a different place, but it's about creating an awareness so that you know we we start to think about it yeah no absolutely and um, and this might sound stupid but what are the benefits of being equitable when it comes to education like is this is, is there a process or is it a series of steps that we're going to be putting in place yeah well first of all it's not stupid at all um and secondly it's really not an option and I think this is where going back to a place of, of misunderstanding, um, and that's why education and awareness is so important because, um, you know, sexual orientation and gender identity is a protected right, it's a protected human right in legislation. In 1996, um, it, sexual orientation and gender identity became grounds for discrimination. So it's not an option, and it's not new. You know, this has been around for a while, um, and there's been lots of pushback and lots of backlash. Um, again, going back to a place of misunderstanding. But you know, it is the law. There's no question, and it, it's not an option. And you know, sadly, there are still some places in the world where being gay is a crime, and you know, in some extreme places, it's actually punishable. By death, um, there's a, an amazing map of the world where different colors represent different countries, where um, sexual orientation and gender identity is not as appreciated as as it is in North America. And I'm not saying North America and Canada is we're we're off to the races by any stretch, but we're in a much better place. But it is the law; it's not an option in the workplace, in education. It's a protected 
right under the charter. So I think, you know, it's about education, it's about compassion and understanding and and moving forward on that on that journey. And so some parents might think the kids should not hear about sexual orientation as they might be too young. Um, so what is considered too young and when are kids ready? So I'm going to go back to the right-handed, left-handed example. And you talked about your 18-month-old child. So your 18-month-old child probably already has a sense of whether they're right-handed or left-handed or not. They might not call it that. They might not be even aware of it. But they may just feel more comfortable picking things up with their left hand or playing with their you know toys with their left hand. And so, you know, the research says that um, children have a sense of their own gender identity starting around the age, you know, between the ages of three and five. Um, kids know who they are. And I think, you know, people who misunderstand, who are fearful of it, or who this doesn't fit with their cultural values, um, try to, um, it, it creates discomfort for them, especially if, if they're noticing it in their own children. And and you know they're they're hoping that this is just a phase that you know their child is going through you know or um, you know it's normal for kids to want to play dress up well that really concerns some parents you know they don't want their children playing dress up because they're thinking they're gonna you know this and if we teach this it's gonna encourage students to be gay or it's gonna encourage or be trendy to be transgender. And, and I mean, again, it, that's just such a, a ridiculous way to think. It, again, if you think about the, the right hand, left handed thing, if, you know, if I'm naturally right handed, am I going to say, okay, well, I, I'm going to become left hand because I think it looks fun or it's going to be cool or, you, you know, it's just, it's not going to be natural for me. It's not going to be comfortable for me. Um, if I get forced to be left-handed, but I'm a right-handed person, can I maybe, you know, fake my way through it? Probably, but it's not who I really am, you know? So when we, again, I keep using that example because it's a safe way to explain a really hard um, concept for some people. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and so are teachers ready to tackle such a subject? Like, do they feel equipped? Good question. Um, I think they're absolutely ready to tackle it, and teachers are our greatest resource, you know. Um, however, they need and want to feel supported, and they need to feel confident that the system, that their their you know system leaders, their school leaders, the district leaders have their back, um, because it is such a you know a, a hot button issue out there for some folks. And that vocal minority tend to take up a ton of airtime and space, but they are the minority. And teachers need to feel confident um, that there's a unified um, support behind them and um, that they are doing the right thing. Again, going back to it's the law, it's, it's the right thing to do. And kids are very accepting. Kids are way more accepting than the adults. Um, they don't have an issue with it. <laughs> it's 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 the it's the big people, not the little people, 
that are yeah, yeah. um so the intersection of safety and soji like it's a, it, it is a complex issue for some of the yes. reasons you mentioned um because and it doesn't just involve the educators it's the students the parents the broader community the neighborhood as if you know you mentioned that earlier as well with that tragic story how can schools engage all of the stakeholders in meaningful conversations and actions to improve the safety for the soji student oh that's a big question and you know i, I certainly hope that i am not um, saying this is simple um, or easy because i know it's not and that you know in a, in the short time that we have today i'm just trying to highlight and surface some of the the key considerations but you know i think really it it involves a unified, supportive, compassionate stance. Um, you know, we need to be we need to be respectful of other um, opinions. We may not agree with them, but we need to respect them. We need to understand where they're coming from. We need to educate and create awareness. Again, going back to the smoking on an airplane, um, we know that it's just a very dangerous thing to do. It's not smart to do that. And we know more now than we did then. And, you know, once you know something, you can't really unknow it. And so it's about debunking the myths. It's about normalizing something that is has been around forever, time immemorial, you know, um, and being accepting and being and treating people the way we would want to be treated and setting those norms and those boundaries that while I may not agree with your values, I think everybody can agree that this is about safety. And it's about, like I said, you say goodbye to your child in the morning. You expect that they're going to be safe. They're going to be allowed to be who they are at school and they're going to come home as supported as they're as as they left at the beginning of the day um and you know again going back i'm not trying to change anybody's opinions or values it's not about that it's about, or you know their religious beliefs i'm trying to make the school environment safe for all children where they can be their right-handed or their left-handed selves and be appreciated for who they are. And I think, you know, it, it sounds very Pollyanna. It sounds like a broken record, but I really believe that. And, you know, I think being positive about it and not, you know, getting rid of the noise, getting rid of that vocal minority to allow the teachers the space and the time they need, and then to support them with professional learning and to support the conversations. And and they're hard conversations. They're not easy and they take time. And and you, you change it one person at a time, one communication at a time, one interaction, one relationship at a time. But over time, again, going back to, you know, the, the story that I told about um, the very tragic one, you know, at, at some point we need to appreciate people for who they are and, and when they're with us. So you know, that's like I said. I I think it's it needs to come from a place of compassion and understanding. No, and I really like that you just bring it right back down to safety of kids, because it's pretty hard to argue against that in itself. Um, and this is just the thought that popped in my head. Because you, 
you mentioned professional learning. I was asking you around about these meaningful conversations within the community and education and the stakeholders. I don't know what this looks like, but are counselors, psychologists, professionals outside the of education that are experts in, you know, for my own family, I lean into that professional help sometimes just to have a better understanding and to do the best job that I can as a parent. So in that regard, is that happening? Are professionals being brought in to to support teachers in that way in a you know in a bigger conversation? Absolutely. And you know, I think it, it really, quite frankly, depends on where you are, what resources and where like where you physically are in in the country and and what resources you have available to you. And when I say resources, I'm talking about people, um, you know, um, there's many, many organizations that are just have outstanding uh, people and supports. There's lots of support out there. Um, but there has to be the desire, um, you know, to to take advantage of it. And there's lots of, you know, there's lots of great resources and stories out there and lots of success stories. Um, you know, and, and I'm noticing really positive change. Uh, the, you know, the world is changing and it's changing in a good way. And, you know, uh, we see it. Uh, I was in um, a, a bath store the other day, um, and uh, there was a sign outside the front door. Um, it was a rainbow sticker, and it said, "Everyone is welcome here." I've seen that sign on churches, uh, which you know, um, maybe twenty years ago, I don't know if I would have seen that. Um, you know, I, one of my—it's um, a bit of a running joke in our family, but one of my uh, little guilty pleasures at Christmas time is watching the Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> and uh, I was watching one uh, last night and it was really refreshing to see a kiss between two gentlemen. And, you know, I'm not sure even five years ago I would have seen that on the Hallmark station. And I'm not using that and holding that up as an example, but I'm just saying the world is changing around us. And, you know, um, shows like Schitt's Creek and, you know, some of the things, like I said, even my Hallmark movie last night, I, I it made me smile because I'm thinking um, this, is, this is just the right thing to do. Uh, and, so, you know, um, we're seeing rainbow sidewalks um, and, uh, you know, stairs and, and pride parades and, um, you know, I, I remember when the pride parades years ago, they were, there was nobody going to them or they were big political events. Now it's, it's very competitive to get into the pride parade. You know, there's big waiting lists for people who want to participate. So, um, you know, it, it's changing and, and it's a, it's a good change, but, you know, like I said, I, I think we need to pay attention to the positive, not to all the, the noise. And I know it's easy to say that, and it's very hard to do that. But that's our role um, as leaders. And, uh, you know, we need to create those safe spaces for teachers to do the good work that they want to do. And we need to support them in their, in their efforts to do that. Yeah, so building on that thought, are there any success stories or examples of any specific schools or districts, without maybe mentioning them, um, mm -hmm. that have successfully promoted the safety and inclusivity of students. Um, yeah, I just wonder what any any takeaways you could leave us with. 
Um, there's lots. And and again, it's really hard to um, to mention specifics without identifying particular places. But, you know, a lot of districts now, I mean, it's very rare that we get to build new schools. But when we do, if we have actually have the, the money to be able to do that, let's build a gender neutral washroom, you know, and, and schools are doing that. And I remember Oh, about 10 years ago, being in a place where um, there was a new school that was being built and not all the parents were happy because there was um, the school, the district decided to build a a gender neutral washroom. um, And, uh, you know, it was a new concept for parents and it was a big deal. And, And then when you think about it, you think, but is your washroom in your house? Uh, segregated or is it just gender neutral you know um and it's it, it only gets segregated you know when you get outside of your home but in your home your washroom is your washroom you know um and it took a long time for that community to kind of embrace that um and now it's just sort of normal um so you know like and I'm using that as an as an example but Things like GSAs, um, you know, Gay Straight Alliances or um, uh, Rainbow Clubs, Diversity Clubs. It used to be a big deal to have a GSA in in schools, and and we know that um, GSAs. Uh, the research shows that it's not just um, it doesn't create just a safer community for the LGBTQ kids, but for all kids, um, they have you know uh, it it makes them all feels or more students feel safer. And and that used to be a high school thing. Now we're taking it down to a younger level. We're taking it to middle school and elementary school where we have rainbow clubs or diversity clubs and all those different names for it. Um, but And that's, that's an excellent success story because what we're doing is we're building that understanding and compassion at a way younger age, which is really where it needs to start, which is why I go back to, you know, kids know young, and we need to support them earlier. So there are so many examples of those kinds of things. I was at a a, a youth forum in the summer um, for an, a conference, and there was about twenty youth on stage, and every single um, student just introduced themselves with their pronouns, and that was just how they were used to introducing themselves because that's what they do in their school. And it's just normal for them, you know. Hi, my name is Claire, and I use he, she, you know, or she, she, her, l pronouns, and and that was really refreshing to see. So you know, it's changing, it's changing, and it's it's happening everywhere. And there's pockets of brilliance everywhere. It's just, and everyone's on a different journey in a different place. As long as we're moving, that's what I ask. Claire, thank you so much. You've got me thinking already now because I noticed your Zoom, as you already mentioned, does have indeed she, her, L. Mine has teacher support. It does not have my pronouns. So I definitely have work to do. And um, yeah, again, as a parent with young children, it's something that's you know undoubtedly going to come up for us as well. So um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's just, I think it's a good conversation to have and a good conversation to continue having and to be open around it. And just to bring it back to that simple piece of kids should feel safe no matter what. I think that's a really good good way to end. 
Well, thank you for having me. And again, I am, you know, no expert. I'm just somebody who cares deeply and is passionate. And like I said, I just want to be a good ally. And that's what I hope. That's my hope. And that's what keeps me, you know, doing this and being hopeful about it because I do see really positive change. And I'm paying attention to the positive change as opposed to the negative voice. So thank you so much for making space and time for this conversation. And uh, I hope I've been somewhat helpful. So thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on The 21st Century Teacher. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Please do subscribe so you don't miss out on the next show. And also, don't forget to check out our fantastic online learning platform, which is livid.earth. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.